Today we have Monique Tello. She is an internal medicine physician. She specializes in family practice, family care, and she has come out with a brand new book. It is all about heart health. The title of the book is Healthy Habits for Your Heart. So her book is unique in that it is evidence-based, meaning there's been a lot of research done and studies that have shown that the things that she's recommending have the highest likelihood of helping you with your high blood pressure, with your heart health, and facilitating you living a longer and happier and productive life. She also dives into the details of the psychology of weight loss with actual evidence that are backing it. So Dr. Tell, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. So do you want to give a little bit of background, unless I missed something about what you do, what you specialize in, and then what inspired you to write this book? Absolutely. I'm, I'm a primary care physician, so I specialize in a lot of prevention, and I treat adults, so a primary care physician for adults. And I've been in practice for over 10 years. Before I went into practice, I actually did a clinical research fellowship and a master's of public health, again, focusing on um, preventive uh, care. And in the 10 years of practice, I've become increasingly frustrated. I hate, I hate prescribing medicine. I really do. I hate giving people pills for things that I know could be probably much more safely addressed through diet and lifestyle changes. But it's not easy to make diet and lifestyle changes. And I think the tendency of a lot of doctors is, is to be a little preachy. And to say, well, this is what you should eat and this is what you should do. But we're not really helping people bridge the gap from what they're doing now to what they should be doing. It's very, very hard to make behavior changes. And so there are very nice intensive behavior change programs out there. The Diabetes Prevention Program, for example, these are like two-year-long programs that sometimes, most of the time, aren't covered by insurance and they're hard to find. So there are programs out there that help people to get into the psychology of, of their habits and change their habits. But I can't offer that to patients a lot because if their insurance doesn't cover it or if they work and they can't go to hours-long classes every week, that's not going to work for them either. So what I've been doing for the past 10 years is trying to cobble together a be an intensive behavior change program for each patient individually. And it's a combination of counseling and sometimes getting them to a therapist to talk about what's behind some of the bad habits that they might have gotten themselves into. And, and I can certainly relate to a lot of them. Uh, and also to a nutritionist to learn about how to eat healthy and also perhaps to a, a physical therapist or a personal trainer to learn how to be active in a way that's safe for them and good for them. So after 10 years of putting all this together for each patient individually, I finally decided I would just put it all in a book. And and this is the book, Healthy Habits for Your Heart. It's focusing on how to lower your blood pressure and maintain heart health, which also means losing weight, lowering blood pressure, lowering blood cholesterol, reducing stress and improving uh, stress management. So it's it's all of those things in a paperback. And you were saying that it sounds really easy to say, well, why don't you just eat better? Why don't you just exercise more? But a lot of that has a psychological opponent component to it. So do you want to touch on some of the psychology behind developing the motivation to do all these things? Absolutely. I think most people are motivated. You know, it's certainly almost everybody I see who has weight to lose or who has blood pressure issues and wants to avoid medications, uh, same with cholesterol or blood sugar. Everybody's motivated. People want to change. It's people say, I know what to do. I just don't know how to do it. Or they're able to do it for a short period of time. Like they were able to uh, change their habits for three months so that they could fit into the right clothes to go to a wedding or to their high school reunion or whatever. But then once 
the event's over and they go back to their regular life, so to speak, it all comes back and they lose they lose all the good habits and they gain back the weight or, you know, the blood pressure goes up. We see this again and again. So the focus really should be on how to change habits for life. And so a lot of that is focusing on why what's behind the bad habits that we have in the first place. And a lot of it is psychological. We do a lot of not good for us things because we're trying to help ourselves to feel better. It's it's what I would call self-medicating. And that can range from binging on TV or video games to binging on bad foods to not exercising because you feel like you don't have time. There's there's all these little brain games that are that we play with ourselves that that keep us from adopting the healthier habits and understanding ourselves and what's underlying all of it is, is really critical. So in your book, and I'd recommend everyone getting your book, you list a hundred habits that will keep your heart and your health healthy and your high blood pressure down and help you lose weight. But before we get into that, can you list say top, the top three psychological approaches or recommendations that someone can start doing to keep all these habits going? Yes. So number one, and so the first half of the book is focusing on the psychology of behavior change. So basically, and um, one of the biggest things is, is focusing on coping skills. So a lot of times our bad habits come out of stress and how we manage our stress. I mean, everybody's got stress, everybody, but not everybody is going to overeat in response to stress or, you know, watch TV or play video games or drink alcohol or any number of other habits that can even end up being addictions. So learning healthy coping skills is probably the, the most important thing. And we go in a lot into that. And then the next part of that, is actually protecting yourself from stress. So when people feel stress, there's coping skills that help them to better manage that. But then there's also just not getting stressed in the first place. And that is a lot of self-care. And that's the other huge, huge piece of this. When we think of self-care, we think of, I don't have time to go to a spa, but that's not really what self-care is all about. Self-care is about getting the sleep that you need. And self-care is about scheduling in the things that you need to to be your best self, basically, on, on a regular basis. Like, th- these are very important things that have to happen. It's going to be different for everybody. Any top three recommendations then for developing coping skills and self-care? Ah, so this does involve some reflection and introspection and, and just thinking about it. And so in the book, I ask people to think about a stressful situation, you know, something that would normally make them feel angry or frustrated. For example, uh, sitting in traffic. You need to be somewhere you're sitting in traffic. Are you the kind of person who's going to be banging on the steering wheel, beeping your horn? If it's a very important meeting at work that you're about to miss because you're sitting in traffic, are you going to be feeling angst about that? Are you going to be feeling uh, helpless and hopeless? What are you going to be feeling in that moment? And that's sort of how probably you're going to feel in a lot of stressful moments. And then how could it be different you know, how could you flip that around and and then sort of trying to project forward and be like, you know, think about this one situation that we're trying to turn around. Can you think, OK, I'm going to miss this meeting, but let's try to look on the bright side. Let's look on the positives. Let's problem solve. Let's try to get on the other side of it in such a way that it's not creating negative emotions in me because that's that's going to be harmful. Some people say we'll have a specific personality trait And I think the ones that are hardest to break are the ones that serve you. For example, if you are very driven, probably you're probably being driven by a certain degree of anxiety, and that may cause you to be anxious or aggressive or what have you. Now, that positive trait has negative side effects as well, but it also serves purposes a purpose, which is why you're 
functioning the way you're functioning. So Mm -hmm. any specific recommendations for someone to modify that where it's still a functional habit, but it doesn't have the, the downside yeah, I guess you have to, to really look at it closely and say, what is this behavior doing for me? So if, if usually I think of things in terms of uh, behaviors. So if somebody's, let's say somebody's very driven, maybe they are not taking a lot of uh, time for, let's say, exercise because they're so driven, they feel like they can't take the time. Okay, fine. So somebody's so driven that they devote all of their free time towards some goal, career goals, studying, something like that. And that is good in a sense. But on the other hand, making them realize that in being so driven and not exercising, that there's also a downside, there's a negative to that and trying to incorporate the self-care component, the exercise component or meditation or, you know, whatever, trying to see that this is actually a very big positive and it's going to help you to achieve your goals even more effective. Does that make sense? It does. Can you comment on the evidence for, say, meditation or any of the other psychological things that you've just mentioned? Absolutely. So in um, in the book, I have a, a huge section of references. And in the chapter that focuses on meditation, I have literally, I think like, geez, I want to say like 40 references in that there's a lot of there's a lot of studies that support meditation, everything from the relaxation response, which is a form of meditation that was uh, made popular by Herbert Benson. I don't know if you've heard of Herbert Benson. This is going way back to the 80s. Uh, he introduced the relaxation response, which is a method of meditation using just repeating words or counting uh, combined with deep breathing. And uh, he didn't call it meditation because at the time people thought meditation was weird. But he studied this technique and found that people brought their blood pressure down um, even after just doing the relaxation response, i.e. meditation for short periods of time. And he actually, he has a huge, uh, he has a book and a a huge body of of evidence about the relaxation response. And then there's a a whole bunch more, you know, so that chapter is just full of science there. And can you comment on the magnitude of effect of meditation? So if someone meditates, is there any sort of rough quantification of how beneficial it can be? I'm sure there is. Yes, actually, I, I saw Herbert Benson talk um, at a conference a couple of years ago, and he presented some of the research that showed the actual numbers. There's actually there's very talented monks who meditate that can actually change their body temperature <laughs> as they meditate. But bringing the pulse down, bringing the blood pressure down, bringing the respiratory rate down, all of these things, they're physiologic effects of simply meditation. It's, it's pretty incredible. So if someone gets your book, so they go through the psychology part, they learn ways to deal with their stresses and other things. Can you recommend some of the top things, top two or three things someone can do to help with their high blood pressure, obesity? Sure. Well, I got, I got a, I got a hundred of them, but, sure. um, well, we have your book, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, so it's divided into the, the, the second half of the book has all the habits. So the first half is how to, how to get to the underlying psychology first, convincing people that their heart health is important and that, uh, behavioral changes can work to make their heart health better. And then the second half of the book is the hundred habits. So it's just breaking it down into very small things that people can do on a daily basis. And the whole, the whole point of the book is that little things matter. The little changes that people make on a daily basis consistently, those matter. And it doesn't have to be like a super big deal. And so, you know, some of the very small things, let's say, let's go to foundational habit. I've got some of the evidence behind uh, silly things like uh, forgiveness. 
So just, just on a daily basis, if somebody makes you angry, if you're upset about something, being able to forgive the offender, there is research to support that this is associated with a significant decrease in uh, negative damaging emotions and, and can help to reduce uh, the risk of depression and post-traumatic stress disorder, all of which are associated with a higher risk of heart disease. Oh, that's interesting. It makes sense now that you're, you're telling me that, but I've never linked forgiveness to an actual physiologic benefit. Yes. Things like volunteering, things like just thinking positively. These are all, this is from the first part of the, the book, and that's just the foundational habits. So again, sort of addressing stress, but these are all things that have definitive physiologic responses. It's pretty incredible. The next part is uh, nutrition. So focusing on nutritional things. And this is everything from eating more fruits and vegetables, which is pretty obvious, to um, eating dark chocolate, drinking tea, coffee, nuts. Like there's all of these different things that people can add to their daily intake or their weekly intake and that will have a research proven benefit towards heart health. Any specific dark chocolate brands that you recommend or what do you, what do you use personally use? Sure. It's not the brand. It's the percent cacao. Cacao is the, that's pure chocolate basically. So it's 60% or greater. So most of the research has shown that three or four squares of 60% or greater cacao is associated with significantly lower blood pressure and lower risk of cardiac events um, over a long period of time. So there are a lot of foods that people can recommend eating, but can you recommend specific foods that people should not eat? Because sometimes I think just as important as it is to know what to do, you should also know what not to do. Yes, absolutely. So we talk a lot about sodium and sodium content. One thing that I tell people is, you know, don't worry so much about measuring the sodium content in your food, just avoid foods that are likely to be high in sodium. And that's going to be things like cold cuts, unfortunately, bacon, a lot of people really love their bacon, but that's one to really eat in moderation, very salty and just processed meat in general is not good for you. Some Um, people love cocaine, it doesn't mean they should be doing it. Yeah, exactly. I'm not saying so I'm not saying bacon is like cocaine. However, because you (laughs) like something does not mean you should do it. Yes. So that one, the processed meat, so in addition to sodium, processed meats are particularly associated with an increased risk of heart disease and premature death. So that's another area to really limit. I'm not saying that people have to go vegan, just limit, you know, those particular foods. So salty foods, for example, fast foods tend to be very high in sodium and processed foods like, you know, frozen dinners and things like that. Generally, I think we all know that those things probably aren't good for us, but they really aren't good for you. <laughs> alcohol in in moderation and moderation really means not a lot of alcohol. Any what does alcohol, that mean? Yes. So up to seven glasses of wine a week for women and up to 14 glasses of wine, normal bores. We're talking, it's approximately four ounces. And that's going to be, so Two drinks a day, basically for men, and one drink a day for uh, women is considered okay and probably associated with a slightly decreased risk of heart disease. So and it's red wine, really, and we think that's because of resveratrol, which is a component in wine. But over that amount increases your risk of all kinds of things, cancers, multiple different cancers, you know, all the side effects of alcohol itself, which is which is incredibly bad for your liver. And people probably don't realize it's actually bad for your heart as well. So alcohol is a slippery slope. If people have like a glass of wine with dinner at night, they're probably fine. But, you know, if people are having three or four and thinking that it's good for them, it, it's not. Isn't more resveratrol better than less? No. So they sell resveratrol in little pills out there 
that has not been shown to do anything. There's something about taking the components out of foods and selling them as a supplement that makes them completely ineffective. So it's really most supplements don't do what they say that they're that they're doing basically. So resveratrol only works in the form of actual wine, but only up to a certain amount of wine. As a primary care physician, there are new guidelines for those who aren't aware, which are these suggestions that large groups put out for physicians and healthcare people to follow regarding high blood pressure. Do you want to comment on those? Yeah. So it was just last year that they published updated blood pressure guidelines. And, and really, it's just it's just about making people aware of when to start worrying. So a normal blood pressure is now under 120 over 80. Elevated is 120 to 129 on that top number, basically. And that's that's the number I, I tell people to really pay attention to. Two or two and a half years ago, if people were like 128 on that top number over 80, they were fine. We didn't even worry about it. It was fine. But now it's flagged as elevated. That doesn't mean that we want people to take medication. And the official recommendation is is actually not to take medication at that level. It's rather to focus on diet and lifestyle changes, like like this book, basically. If your blood pressure is between 120 and 129 on that top number, you should be focusing on everything that's in this book, basically. It's just reducing stress, getting your, your own psychology under control, eating a little bit healthier, exercising a little bit more, all of those things. And to be respectful of your time, so do you have any takeaways for anyone, or if you can give just one message to people listening to this about their high blood pressure or, or their weight, what would it be? Sure. So one of the reasons we wanted to focus on blood pressure and heart health rather than calling this a weight loss book, which, which essentially it is. I mean, that's the whole, that's sort of, if you do everything that this book says, you're, you're going to lose weight. But I don't want people to focus on the number on the scale. That's just a huge trigger for people and it's not super effective. What I want people to focus on rather than any numbers is the habits. Just adopting the healthy habit in and of themselves, because that's the only thing you can really measure, right? How many servings of fruits and vegetables did you get today? Or what can you aim for? Um, how many steps can you walk? How many minutes of meditation? How many hours of sleep? Like these are actions that people can do and quantify. And those are the things to focus on, not the numbers on the scale and not the numbers on the blood pressure cuff. Let's focus on what we can do, what we have control over, because the research shows those things will make a difference. And, and really, they do. So I would recommend everyone get your book, Healthy Habits for Your Heart. There are over a, about 100 habits in there. Even if someone adopted a few of them, I'm sure it would make a large difference in their health and overall quality of life. Do you, Dr. Tella, want to leave any of your social media contact information? Yeah. So I'm Dr. Monique Tello on pretty much everything. So Dr. Monique Tello on LinkedIn, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and Dr. Monique Tello at gmail.com. That's my email address. Just to make it really easy, I welcome people's questions, feedback. You know, I hope to keep writing books that help people to make small behavioral changes towards their greater health. So hopefully this is the first of, of many books, you know, so welcome feedback and really just on a mission so that doctors like me don't have to give people medications for things that are in their control. Awesome. Well, Dr. Tell, thank you very much for taking the time to educate everyone about heart health. Yeah. Thank you, Chris.